0: This is the Ordinary Christian Podcast, a podcast dedicated to real people like you seeking to live out your Christian faith in the ordinary aspects of everyday life. My name is Craig Thompson, and I'm your host for this podcast. I'm a husband, father, pastor, and writer. I hope that this podcast will help you to use the margins of your everyday life to live more intentionally for Jesus. Hello and welcome to episode 48 of the Ordinary Christian Podcast. I've asked Joel Rainey to come with me today and talk a little bit about what it looks like to be a godly man, what it means to be a godly woman, and how uh, perhaps our our views of some of those things get a little bit distorted sometimes, especially as we try to be um, as as true to God's Word as we can be. Sometimes we can kind of go a little too far to the left, a little too far to the right. Joel's a guy who seems to have found a way to um, walk that balance pretty well and uh, minister with uh, some men and women who have walked that balance pretty well. Joel pastors in West Virginia. He's originally from Greer, South Carolina. Uh, Joel Rainey, welcome to the Ordinary Christian Podcast. Hey, it's a delight to be with you, Craig. Thank you so much, Joel. Will you tell us a little bit more about us? Or about us? Uh, we know about us. Can you tell us about yourself? Tell us about your church, family.
1: Uh, sure. Yeah, I've been here in here Covenant for five and a half years. Uh, we were, I know we were talking off mic a few moments ago. We are in West Virginia geographically. Uh, with all of the, some of the cultural accoutrements you would assume are a part of that state. Uh, but I'm also walking distance from where I sit here from the Potomac River in Maryland. Uh, there's a Mark train that uh, that's about five minutes from my home that takes you all the way in. Uh, you're about an hour's train ride from here right into downtown D.C. across from the U.S. Capitol. A lot of our people commute, or at least they did prior to COVID, uh, in and out of the district for a living. And so sometimes the rest of West Virginia doesn't really consider us part of West Virginia. Uh, but that that's where we're at. I've been here for five and a half years. Uh, the Lord's been blessing in incredible ways. And um, uh, a lot of that has been around how we understand masculinity and femininity uh, and complementarity. I know that word's probably gonna come up a lot the next few moments. Um, and we have no issue using that uh, and, and holding to those convictions as we believe the the scriptures would teach them. But we've also learned for, for women to not have a voice at the table and, and to be able to contribute in a way that actually moves the church in the direction that it should go uh, is to the detriment of the church. It's not just our sisters in Christ that get hurt, although I'm sure we could spend a, a good bit of time uh, telling some, some horror stories about women who've been hurt and abused and, and, and wounded by the church. It's the church itself because we miss out uh, on roughly half of our congregation. Uh, and I've got to credit my wife with that to a large extent. I married a godly woman uh, who loves Jesus more than she loves me. And uh, 27 years we will have been married this coming July. And uh, she's a strong woman and she's a great lady, a great woman of God. She leads our, uh, our, our uh, international engagement efforts in Vietnam here at the church. She teaches uh, about the dynamics of poverty and, and, and bringing lift through the gospel to society with our teens and, and, and others. And, and I've often said she is a joy to lead, but she's not easy to lead. And she really shouldn't be. <laughs> uh, and and, and I, it's, we'll, we'll get into more of that later, but I often tell men, uh, you know, leadership should be hard. That that's part of what it means to be a man is, is to be willing to do the hard things. Uh, and, and by hard, I don't mean that she's obstinate or that, that she doesn't submit to my authority. I just mean, uh, she pushes me to be a better man. And so when we're talking about complementarity, um, my own experience and my own marriage, frankly, uh, have taught me that, uh, my goodness, our sisters in Christ have an awful lot to contribute to this discussion that too often we have not allowed uh, for any number of reasons. Yeah.
0: Joel, the um, the purpose of uh, the primary audience, uh, my, my... Primary goal in this podcast is to reach audience of lay folks, ordinary folks, uh, maybe maybe pastors like you and I. Do me a favor, if you would, give us just a sort of a brief definition of complementarianism. Uh, what what does that mean? I, I know it's a loaded question. I saw yeah, that. You smile.
1: mean yeah? Don't don't recite the Denver statement, is what you mean. Try to give us a, a second grade version of this. So this yeah. Is- Yeah. And I, and I'm a signatory to the Denver statement. I have no issue with it as is written. Uh, although admittedly in recent years, I'm wondering, well, perhaps I've misunderstood it because a lot of guys seem to think it means something else. Yeah. Um, complementarity just simply means God created us male and female, uh, in his image and likeness, which means we are equal in essence, but oftentimes there are specific functions, uh, in which we're called to complement each other, uh, the man to the woman and the woman, to the man, uh, I do believe that 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 does include a measure of authority uh, that uh, that comes in in two spheres. In, in the home uh, would be the first one, and then the church uh, would be the other one. Uh, but what I believe is not, and I think this is a real important distinction, particularly for lay people. Authority is not embodied in maleness. I, I don't believe that's what complementarianism teaches. Uh, I believe what the scriptures actually teach is that, yeah, there are a couple of roles, husband and father, husband slash father being one pastor being the other, uh, where the, the, the role itself requires male embodiedness, but the authority is not in my anatomy. It's in the role. Uh, and in order to carry that authority, there are certain qualifications I have to meet. Uh, and so that, that's how I would define complementarity. Um, just briefly. And
0: when you separate that from maleness, uh, it's important because it, it keeps us from this idea that somehow or other men are, are, are always superior to women, uh, or that men are at all superior to women, or that, that all men are in authority over all women. Right? So um, there's an authority given, for instance, in the church, the pastors' authority given to the husband in the home, but that authority doesn't extend, for instance, to um, you know the, the 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 man standing outside of my office when my wife walks in. You know, that, that authority doesn't extend there. She is not, she is not subservient to him unless she chooses to be for some particular reason.
1: Right. And frankly, Craig, it doesn't even extend here a covenant to my staff. Uh, I have a woman who serves in a capacity where she supervises men. Um, now she doesn't supervise pastors. She doesn't, we, we recognize there's an order to this. Um, but if, if that's going to be a problem for you, you're, probably just not going to be employed by us uh, mm-hmm. because again that once you once you get beyond the level of pastor, uh, we believe the whole point of that authority is to cause everybody, including our sisters in Christ to flourish because when they flourish in operation of their gifts that the Holy Spirit's given them then the whole church flourishes. Uh, and so that for us, that even means, uh, in employment relationships, you may be a man who's called upon to submit to a woman. That's just how that goes. Uh, we're, we're not asking you to submit to your wife. We're not asking you to submit to a female pastor. Uh, but within that construct of overall male headship, we would say, Hey, uh, there are some areas where there's some, there's some, you just need to, you just need to do what these folks ask you to do because they're leading the way and they know what they're doing and we're going to trust them and empower them to do that.
0: Right. Yeah. Um, what we're seeing um, in larger evangelicalism and in and, and Southern Baptist life in particular, where you and I kind of find our tribe for the most part, yeah. uh, we're seeing some, what, 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 in my opinion is a bit of a, um, Perversion may be too strong of a word, um, but, but maybe an excessive commitment to, to, to complementarianism, maybe complementarianism, complementarianism on steroids uh, mm-hmm. to some degree is what we're, we're seeing some where we even have that. Uh, I'm, I'm actually glad that you went ahead and mentioned the idea of, of a woman uh, serving uh, in, in a leadership position, uh, employment, because we have some that would extend that so far as to say that, that a woman should not be an authority over a man in the workplace. Right. Yeah. So uh, um, I, I appreciate that this is just aw- he's not even going to engage that conversation. Craig, we've already answered that and move on. But um, but we're, we're seeing some of that. And, <laughs> and in addition to that, um, yeah. uh, that sort of um, perversion, I, I, again, I, I hope that's an OK word. Do you do you have a better it's, word than that?
1: Totally. Fun. No, it is. It's a perversion. And, and it goes back to what I said before. It, it goes back to a horrible assumption. Uh, that authority is embodied in maleness. Yeah, and that's just simply not true. That's not the the Bible itself. The overarching meta narrative does not agree with that, and right. we're not, you know you're you're not going to be able to make that comport with the Bible.
0: But when you're trying to make that comport with the Bible, what you have to do is to create a particular vision of masculinity that is necessarily an authoritative view of masculinity, and so yeah. we're we're seeing this uh, back to that perversion, this idea that there is sort of a certain definitional kind of of masculinity and manhood that's that's biblical. And then there's sort of the, the limp-wristed men who are not, right? And I think I, that, that would probably be a, a phrase that would be very comfortable among some. Um, for me, for instance, I, I remember I was sharing with you um, off mic just a few minutes ago. Not too long ago, I was in a uh, conversation with a couple of guys, a couple of uh, pastors, and um, we talked about how here at Malvern Hill, we've been very blessed and fortunate to reach a lot of men. God's given us real favor among men in our community. God's given us a lot of a lot of strong male leaders here. And uh, one of the guys just looked at me, he says, well, Craig, I, I know why you've been able to reach those men. I said, well, well tell me, because I'd like to know, you know, what I mean, yeah. he said, well, it's because you're a man's man. I said, well, what, what, do you, what do you mean by that? He said, I mean, you, you drive a truck, you know, you, you like to hunt, and fish, you're, you're a big, strong guy. I mean, that's that's what men want. And I, I just looked at him. I said, brother, we're in a mess if the only hope we have to reach men is to carry a gun, drive a truck, and bench press 400 pounds, because there's just not a lot of guys like that. Right. And there's got to be different definitions of masculinity and manhood other than, you know, this Rambo idea of masculinity.
1: Right. Well, and I'll tell you, Craig, it, it sounds like you and I are a lot alike. I do drive a truck as well. I'm a gun owner. I'm a hunter. I'm a fisherman. Uh, I love to be outdoors, but frankly, if that's the sum total of your understanding of masculinity, you need to get out more. Uh, there's a whole world out there full of godly men who may not be interested in any of that. Uh, in fact, I have three children. I have two sons and a daughter. Uh, and, and when deer season rolls around here in the fall, my 12-year-old daughter is probably more likely than her two brothers to say, Daddy, I want to go sit with you in a tree stand. And so it really goes to the heart of, you know, if if we're so narrowly or myopically defining either masculinity on the one hand or femininity on the other, uh, what we're doing, I remember something Russ Moore said several years back. uh, If your definition is so culturally myopic that it only includes a select number of folks in a particular gender, you are begging the culture. Uh, to steal your children and deliver them over to the sexual revolution. Uh, because it, a, a daughter who doesn't feel like it's appropriate to sit with her daddy in a tree stand because, quote, that's not what little girls do, might be easily persuaded later on that maybe she's not a girl at all. Uh, conversely, you, you may have uh, a young man who doesn't have the same interest as his father has, uh, but he's he's going to otherwise exemplify all those markers of, of biblical manhood that really don't connect in any meaningful way to, to these, these cultural uh, contours that we, that we've been talking about. Manhood is, is about taking responsibility and and that can happen in it on, on any number of fronts. I have guys that uh, when I worked for, I was, state evangelism director for the Baptist Convention of Maryland, Delaware, before I came here, I work with a lot of church planners. We put a lot of those guys in the field. Some of them, if we were to sit down, you and I, with them and start talking about guns, we might find that that politically we have very different views than they do. Because uh, like I'm a big Second Amendment guy and a lot of guys that, that, that work, particularly in Baltimore and D.C., um, they they would have a different view of that. Uh, but those guys are also the kinds of guys that would walk unarmed into what you and I might consider a war zone, where there's drug deals going down, where hostile takeover is defined as you get a bullet in your head and this dealer takes over your corner. Uh, and they're, they're they're going into those areas. That to me is is far more exemplary of biblical manhood than some sort of culturally defined expression of a guy sitting in the woods with a gun or driving a truck or belching the loudest or urinating the furthest or, or whatever it is that we're, you know, whatever kind of metaphor this is, I know guys that can do all of that and they're not men because they treat their wives like crap and they spend all of their resources on themselves and they don't love their wives like Christ loved the church. And so when we're talking about biblical manhood we confine it to that uh, we're we're asking for all manner of godlessness to come into our churches, and when that happens at the masculine level, it's traumatic. Conversely,
0: traumatic. conversely, we, we've got to teach our young men that there are these different views of masculine, which means we've got to expose them to all different kinds of men. I, I remember after I had that conversation with those pastors telling me how, how manly I was, I, I was actually working out with my, my 14-year-old son, so um he and i do that together we enjoy he, he hunts he fishes you know he's a great athlete all those other things he he, he should be the, yet? what's that can he out bench press he, you yet no he's got a while before you he, he can outrun uh, me yeah he can outrun me but he'll have to get grown i, mean, I, I know they're
1: still young but we're getting older you and me so.
0: we are <laughs> but like i said I, I haven't raced him in two years i beat him two years ago i'll never race him again ah yeah it's it's y'all. all about knowing your limitations that's right. That's yeah, right. but. um but I just shared that with him, and it, and it was a test for me, because I needed to know if I was failing as a father. You know, uh, If he looked at me and he said, that's right, then I was going, oh. But I, but I shared that with him, and he looks at me and he said, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I said, well, <laughs> yeah. well, 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 explain to me, son, why is it so dumb? And he started naming off the men in our church or the men in his family that love Jesus and that love their wives and love the church yeah. that don't do the same things that he does right? Or, or that don't do the same things that I do. right? And 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 yet he recognizes that these are godly men. And so if you're listening to this, you're a father, you're trying to expose your your your, your boys or your daughters, because your daughters need to see this as well. Everybody needs these, we need to give them a wide variety of pictures of what a godly man is. I need them to see men in a white shirt and a tie that go to work. I need them to see guys that go to work in jeans and a t-shirt. Uh, and, and, and I need to see them with guys who who play musical instruments and with, with men who, um, you know, who, who kill things for fun. I, I want them to be exposed to all those different things because ultimately their their godliness is not rooted in their vocation or their avocations. It's, it's rooted in their relationship with Christ, their identity in Christ and how they live in obedience to him. Yeah. Um, so we, we've got this danger of... Of uh, oversimplifying what a man is, but then you already mentioned this. We we have this this equal danger when we begin to identify masculinity in this one particular way. We necessarily say that femininity looks exactly like this other thing. We create these polars or polar opposites that we've got to be on, um, and uh, and and. I listened to a podcast some months back and I'll be honest with you. It took everything in my power to not send an email, make a phone call or just drive to wherever these people were and shake them because I, I listened to a couple of guys on a podcast talk about how how they're going to be raise their boys to be men and how manly they are because they did this. And, and, and little girls should have long hair and little boys need to learn to shoot guns. And I was so angry as I listened Ooh. to it. You're raising your eyebrows like this didn't happen. I'm telling you, I was so angry as I read it
1: yeah.
0: um, and because I, I wanted to call them and say, my daughter can outrun your son and she shoots better than him, too. Uh, yeah. And she loves Jesus and looks pretty in a dress. And 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 I didn't because that's my pride screaming. But that's what I wanted to do because they they're painting this picture that my my twelve year old daughter, who also loves to sit in a deer stand with me and shoots better than my son, is she suddenly not a godly woman because of those things? I mean, are, are you seeing those similar concerns?
1: Uh, there's, yeah, there are some elements of that that are, that, that are troubling to me. Um, particularly when I look at the evangelical culture and, and, and what it says about, about femininity, about masculinity. And, and again, when you raise boys to say, to think this is what a man is, you, you could, you could just as easily raise a barbarian as you do a godly man, which frankly is the whole reason my 12 year old is going to learn how to wash out a kneecap. Cause dad's not always going to be around. I mean, <laughs> I mean, seriously, like yeah. this is like, I know the reality of the world and, and, and she's, you know, she's going to have that. but you know what that's, is that feminine? Is that masculine? Um, femininity certainly includes, um, a, you know, a wife doing her thing, a mother caring for her children. Femininity apparently, according to the Bible also includes occasionally driving a steak tent through a guy's temple. Right. Um, sometimes yeah. it involves, taking over an army because the general is too much of a coward and, and saying, all right, here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to do it. Um, And and so that's been the difficulties because you you and I look at, I would imagine first Timothy two and three in much the same way. We, we would probably agree with very little variation that, that what that means is that there's certain offices, particularly the office of pastor uh, that's, that's limited to scripturally qualified men. Scripturally Uh, qualified men precisely because it's it's not just men it's scripturally qualified men right but what does that mean in terms of what a woman can and can't do and and what disturbs me is within the within the body of christ a lot of micromanagement that seems to be happening uh that that by cbmw and other organizations that aren't they're not the local church number one they're not even really a part of the denomination, at least not in any official sense. In fact, oftentimes
0: not being led by pastors yeah. who are doing ecclesiology in the local church.
1: No, they show up once a week after they've taught the seminary classroom and they preach, and, and that, that's about it. Uh, and they're living rent-free on one of our seminary campuses. Uh, so it's doubtful they could even survive, frankly, uh, outside of us giving them what we're giving them. And and what are we paying them for? Uh, we didn't even vote as to whether or not we were going to provide this to them. Uh, but we're providing it for them, and in and in response, we're getting lectured about all the things we should not be doing in our churches, uh, and it's all around 1 Timothy 2, 1 Timothy 3, which I want to pay attention to and obey, but I also know it needs to be understood in light of the overarching narrative of Scripture, so I can come to a conclusion that the office of pastor is limited to men, and I might still apply that teaching in terms of having a woman speak on sunday morning having a woman teach mixed audiences and you craig may come to some different conviction and and so what you have to do at that point is you have to respect each other sometimes it's a good uh, i I think part of when when james says to be to be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to anger i think a a wider application of that might even be occasionally you got to say not my monkeys not my circus I, i mean i I may not agree with everything. That's kind of
0: what it means to be a Baptist, right? We we believe exactly. in the autonomy yeah. of the local church. I, I can love you, but sometimes I might disagree with you wholeheartedly. But you know what? It's not
1: that's <laughs> your business. Yeah. I can love Craig. I, I mean, I can disagree with the way Craig Thompson does some things. Craig can disagree with Joel Rainey in the way he does some things. But it, there's a mission that's bigger than this, and 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 so we we want to be uh, we want to be focused on that uh, rather than, than always micromanaging and talking about, well, if a woman does this, or if a woman does that. And so for me personally, um, I mean, our elders came to this conclusion a long time ago that, um, you have Phoebe who was obviously a deacon who carried the letter, uh, that we now know is the book of Romans To the church at Rome, and unless there was some huge historical precedent that was broken in that moment, she was also the one who would have stood in front of the congregation and read that letter to them. Uh, you have Junia, who did it, who did time with the Apostle Paul. You have uh, women in the Old Testament as well, I and mean, we could go on and on and on and on. So, whatever First Timothy two and three means, it does not exclude those things. It doesn't exclude women being the first to proclaim the resurrection of Jesus. Um, and so, we what we try to do at Covenant. And we may come to a different conclusion as to some other churches is we want to take all of that into consideration and say, okay, uh, how do we best exemplify what we believe the Bible teaches regarding gender complementarity? And at the end of the day, even with male authority, what we want to do with that is this, um, it's not just whether a pastor should be a man, it's whether that male pastor's work results in, among other things, the flourishing of his sisters in Christ. If my sisters in Christ, who call me pastor, starting with my own wife, are not developed and grown and empowered and given reins of leadership to a certain extent, so that they can bless the body of Christ and extend the kingdom of God alongside their brothers, uh, then the problem is not with my sisters. The problem is with their pastor. Yeah,
0: Joel, um, I didn't. I should have probably prefaced this one for you, so put you on the spot, but. How much do you see, um, or do you think it's possible that some of what we see is is an intimidation that 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 sometimes men are intimidated
1: by strong women? Is that is that too strong of a statement for me to say to you? Uh, uh no. I, I've I've got 27. Well, how many years? 92, 29 years of, of of vocational ministry. This coming actually this month. Yeah. And no, I think that's dead on accurate. I think there are a lot of guys. Who are just looking for weak women? Yeah, and, those are not. to say if you and, and I've said that from the pulpit before. If you can't handle a strong woman, you are not qualified for marriage.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I I had Amy Bird on on this podcast some months back, and uh, I just I just had to laugh at some of the the online attacks that Amy has endured, whether whether you agree with her or don't. And for the most part, I do. I I, I think Amy's is orthodox. I've, I've not I've not read her books and walked away. This is a woman that affirms. Uh, complementarianism, at least to a degree. She she really runs from egalitarianism and yet continues to be accused of such. Um, but I, I couldn't help but laugh as I've seen some of the folks that have attacked her online and, and thought to myself that she probably could take them in a street fight. <laughs> yeah. You
1: know? Well um, I don't know about that, but I do know well, she's I mean smarter. I do you know I mean it's I, a I martial arts. Yeah she's so. pretty tough. She's a tough
0: lady. You know, I mean she really is with a martial arts background, all the things that she does. I mean she's very smart you know yeah, but she and, and, had
1: a martial arts background. Really? Oh no, yeah, that's her her, her I, first book. We only live about thirty minutes from each other. Is that a fact? I mean, yeah, yeah she's her... over in Maryland, we we've, we've talked before. And she's yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's I I mean I read her last book. Uh, I didn't agree with everything in it. I didn't you know some of the ways that she tried to represent complementarianism. I thought were were probably not entirely accurate. But I also knew she was kind of going after the caricature and the caricature on right unfortunately has been embodied in some of CBMW's leaders. So there's that other side of me that went, you know, I I really can't blame her uh, for going after that. And she asked some really good questions and (laughs) did not, I mean, I'm not Presbyterian, but I saw nothing in the book that that suggested to me that she even came close to stepping outside the bounds of, of the Westminster divines. So I don't know what the, I don't know what my Presbyterian brothers are so upset about.
0: Well, that's that's for them to figure out. For me, I try to try to live within my own my own uh, my own tribe, my own camp as it relates to these things. And we we see some of this stuff. Well, listen, we've we've talked a good bit about all the things that uh, we might agree that need to be shifted and changed, uh, ways that might be able to be better. Um, I, I, let's let's say you're you're Joel Rainey, you, you're raising two sons and a daughter. What are the things that you are are doing on purpose? to make sure that you give them a picture of what it is to be a godly man, uh, what it is to, to, to I mean, obviously, for, to, be, to be a godly woman, and, and how you're raising them to honor Christ with their with their sexuality, with their gender, with their lives.
1: Yeah. Oh, gosh. Well, this is not going to be elaborate. It's not going to be complicated. I, uh, I try to pray with my kids. Don't do that as often as I should. But, I mean, just last night we all gathered uh, we usually pick a bedroom. It's either my daughter's or my son's. I, my oldest is 21 now, so he's 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 half out of the house. You either did it
0: right or you didn't at this point, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so
1: he's he's. I mean, we still hang out. We'll we'll probably we're getting ready to go on a family vacation. It'll probably be the last time he's with us because he has one more year of school and then he'll be off into the job market and 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 that kind of thing. Uh, but we did this with him as well. We just, we just spend time with them. We pray with them. Uh, they're growing up in a pastor's home. So I want them to lead as much of a normal life as they can. I don't want them feeling on the one hand, like they're somehow special because of who their father is, uh, but also that, 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 and that they could be the exception to the rule, but I also don't want them singled out and having, you know, greater expectations. I, I'm not going to ever do that to them. Uh, and I'm thankful actually to be a part of a church where that doesn't happen. Uh, our people don't do that. We have a good, healthy environment here. So I pray with them. Uh, we talk uh, ab- about the things of God together. Uh, we just, we, we try to spend time together. I, and I do my best to just try to hear and obey Jesus as his follower and and in the hopes that, that they will see that. Um, I, my prayer is that at some point when they're putting me six feet under, uh, that they'll remember he loved Jesus. He loved He loved our mama. Uh, he was good to her. He took care of her. Um, and he took care of us uh, and he took responsibility for everything that happened in his home uh, and, and and i that's that's really what I want to do and, and so just you know reading it when they were younger, we would do a lot of bible stories and and i would I, you know I would do the narratives and we would do that. I would do the voice of God and um, and just sort of, sort sort of act that out for them. And we always had a good time. And it was a little bit of reading the scriptures and a little bit of wrestling in the bed, followed by mom coming down the hall going, Oh, great. Thanks. You know, uh, they're never going to go to sleep now. Uh, so I, you know what, just spend time with your children and let them know you love them and, and, and pray with them on a regular basis and do what Jesus tells you to do. I mean, I know that that's not, that's not elaborate. It's not complicated, but that's, That that's, that's just what I'm trying to do. And it's what my daddy did for me. Uh, my father was, uh, when when I was born into the home of a bootlegger, so dad, uh, was a mechanic by day. He ran illegal liquor by night. That's how I put diapers on my butt for the first three years of my life. Uh, and then he came, he came to the Lord. Uh, and so he left all that behind. So I, I got to grow up in the home of a godly man and, and I learned, you know, I learned a lot in seminary, but, but. I I learned how to share my faith in the bottom of an oil pit, like an OSHA nightmare, like dad's draining the, draining the oil out of the engine. There's another mechanic draining the rear end fluid out of this 27,000 pound truck that's over us. And I'm down in the pit with him. I'm eight, nine years old. And he's talking to that other mechanic about Jesus. And so this is what men do. Men do their jobs. Men take responsibility. Men love their wives. Men father and take care of their children. And men worship Jesus and they talk about Jesus. And um, if I can, if I can replicate what my father did on on those fronts, uh, then that, that I, I I will consider things a success.
0: I um I appreciate the way that you put that. It's 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 that raising our children has got to be just a normal part of our lives. Uh, and yeah. And we we sometimes create, especially we pastors, right? We can sometimes create these these marks, benchmarks for for fathers to, to reach that the majority of men never will get there. You know that they're they're supposed to sit down and have these twenty minute devotions to their family every night and lead them in music and in and in Bible study and and, and I, I listen. I try, I want my guys to do that, but I also know that when I was when I was six, seven, eight years old, my dad was working two jobs. Uh, he he was a diesel mechanic as well. Uh, so I grew up with uh, you know old clothes. I had I had school church clothes, school clothes, old clothes, and then we had shop clothes. Do you have those too? Yeah, right? yeah there's a difference, right? Those are the ones that you don't even wear to play outside. They're just nasty. <laughs> uh, but my dad, my dad worked two two jobs so that my mom could stay home and be with us a lot. And so for for my dad, you know, being being a man, a godly man at home, putting food on the table, and when you're that kind of guy, there's not a lot of time. If you've done that and you have put your kids to bed at night and then you went back and you worked another three hours after they fell asleep, there's sometimes not a lot of time to do all these other things. And right. I think sometimes we just need to release men from the burden that they've got to train their boys to be real men and train all these things. They just got to model it. Paul said, do what I do. Take your kids um, with you. Yeah, Take them with you. Take them Take to them church with. with you. And just never... Never neglect to realize how much you train up your children if you're modeling godliness in front of them and if you're taking them with you. I, I, I my dad, I just quick side note on my dad. My dad took us everywhere, everywhere when I was kid. I have one, uh, well, I have two brothers. Um, it's a long story, but my dad would never stop to take us anywhere. Right. He, he we'd be in his truck on Saturday mornings. He's going to pick up parts for the jobs he's doing on the side, and I I spent many of my formative years sitting at a parts counter uh, with men that were not proclaiming the gospel. Yep. Uh, but I was spending time with my Dad, and and I was I was learning what it is to take responsibility to be a man who leads his family. So uh, I I just appreciate you saying that. I, I think and I hope that uh, some of the guys who are hearing this today maybe feel a little bit of freedom to, um, uh, to, to just live a godly life in front of their kids, not, not worry about, you know, making their their boys into these burly barbaric men, but really just right. allow them to pursue their passions and love the Lord in the process. Let them,
1: let them be who God created them to be. Train up a child. The, my, my best understanding of the Hebrew is in the way that he is bent. God's created him with a certain set of skills and gifts uh, make sure you're aiming that child in the direction based upon your best discernment of who God created them to be, and sometimes that means they share some of your interests, and sometimes it means they don't. Hmm. Uh, that's all right; they're not really yours, on in, anyway, right? Our kids are on loan to us from the Lord; yeah. they belong to Him, and so yeah. uh, as we raise them up, and even as you're talking about the the, the requirements, Craig, I was thinking about even like our deacons. Uh, that we have here, we have like twenty-something deacons here that it, men and women that that just really stand in the gap for us at Covenant, and and so many of them right before we 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 put them into the office would say, I don't know if I'm qualified, and it was always around what they knew. I don't know. I don't think I know enough of the Bible yet. I don't think I've got like. Uh, I don't think i figured out the Trinity yet. You know, I don't think I've figured this out. I figured that out, and I always pointed them back to that that verse in First Timothy three that says, here's, here's your requirement. Now for pastors, it's a lot higher, a lot higher
0: for teaching, able to teach is a big deal for able Pastor to teach Milders. is a
1: big, yeah. You can't teach what you don't know. So obviously that's a lot higher in this role. You should hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. You just, you know what? I believe, I believe, and I'm hearing and I'm obeying. And I know a lot of guys that, um, you know, and even some of this, Uh, Some of this complementarity debate has has oozed over into the Trinity, you know, eternal functional subordination and all this, you know, I know guys that can argue both sides of that, that are just godless. I know guys that, um, I mean, they're, they're, I mean, you see them on Twitter every day. Like they, they know the ins and outs of everything they've read every book and they're mean as hell give me those deacons that say, I don't know how to articulate this, but I love Jesus. And you can see them because a disciple, my, my mentor, Bob Roberts, taught me this a long time ago. Joel, don't ever forget the definition was of a disciple is actually someone who just hears and obeys. Mm. And so when, when there's someone who, yeah, look, I don't understand everything. I can't I can't give you all of the philosophical arguments for the existence of God. I can't I can't even begin to tell you why the Bible is the word of God. But you know what? I believe it. I believe all of it. I'm going to do everything I can to live it. And I'm going to obey it. I'm going to do it in front of my wife and in front of my children. That's a godly man. And, and give you know, me that guy. I will go to war with that guy.
0: But Joel, doesn't this and this is, this would take us to a turn that we can't we can't run down this rabbit hole for very long? Yeah. But this is some of the the struggle that we're seeing in evangelicalism, even in our own Southern Baptist Convention right now, is there's this idea that we create these these tests for orthodoxy, mm-hmm. for right belief, but we've really stopped having tests for orthopraxy, for for, for right practice. Yeah. Unfortunately, you know, we see this bickering, this this. This backbiting, this real vitriol, and yet Jesus said, "They will know you're my disciples by your love for one another." Yeah, right. He doesn't say they're going to know you're my disciples by how many things you know, uh, by how well you can argue, by how well you can preach. They're going to know by your love. It's 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 our actions that are that are always going to speak so much louder. And that's that's not some liberal argument, you know. That's not some social justice argument. Um, that's that's not
1: some egalitarian argument. Those are Jesus's words. Well, that yeah. That well, it's also, frankly, to take us back to the beginning. It's First Timothy three. Yeah, not pugnacious, not quarrelsome, above reproach. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Once again, do you hear and obey? Yeah, or don't you?
0: Yeah. And uh,
1: we will, rather
0: rather than we run the risk of you and I jumping off into a, a, another conversation that would take us somewhere else, Joel, we will um, we will end <laughs> with that, and and maybe with just this word of encouragement to folks that are listening. Um, you you can live as a godly man or a godly woman uh, by by honestly just living in in humility and grace and obedience. What Would you say, mm-hmm. listen and obey, listen and obey. And believe it or not, if you're willing to be that kind of humble, listen and obey kind of person, you can raise children who become godly men and women because they've seen mom and dad, not arguing and fighting, but listening and obeying. Um, and they, they, they've they've you, You're a pastor. What difference does it make in the world when you have a child that's growing up in a home where the mom and dad sit around the dinner table and they talk about the sermon on Sunday, rather than they go home and they gripe about the pastor on Sunday. (laughs) Those people that say, how can I obey as opposed to, Oh, did you hear what he had to say today? Right?
1: Yeah, Uh, I've actually said that to, to my own congregation. I'm like, guys, if y'all are bad, mad than me, there's nothing I can do about it. Um, but don't expect your kids to trust me if they get in trouble and they need something and you try to send them to me and they don't want to (laughs) go. Yeah. You might trace it back to to all the smack you were talking. And I'm not, you know, I'm not telling you I, I'm not even angry about that, but I am concerned. Yeah. When they walk when when they walk
0: away from the church and reject the authority of the church because they've seen mom and dad do that uh, over and over and over again at home, don't don't be surprised. That's yeah. that's discipleship. You're discipling your kids one way or the other. And it's it's either in that humble uh, listen, uh, obey, or in, uh, really just an arrogant, uh, I know it all And either way, whether you're claiming to know it all about God's word, <laughs> or you're claiming to know it all about something else that, that, that attitude sort of speaks loudly, doesn't it? It sure does. Yeah. Joel, I'd, I'd like to give you the last word, just any, any word of encouragement for, uh, uh, maybe let me put it this way. Do you have any word of encouragement maybe for that, that guy? Okay. Um, whether he be 14 or 44 that doesn't fit the mold. He, he doesn't, he doesn't, he's not a second minute guy. He doesn't drive a truck. He he plays the saxophone and, you know, he, he, he's interested in good shoes. What, what do you say to that guy who might feel on the outside in some of these conversations today?
1: Be like Jesus yeah, in every single way. Um, look at the way he related to, women look at the way he related to children look at the way he related to the religious establishment look at the way look at his message and listen uh look at the way he prioritized his time Um, that's none of that is contingent on the kind of culture you live in uh, or whether you fit a particular viewpoint of what maybe constitutes modern masculinity uh, but there was no more perfect man that ever walked, and there never will be. So right. just imitate Jesus.
0: Amen. Amen. We're not too worried about the kind of shoes you wear, are we? We're a lot more worried about the kind of uh, the kind of godliness that you put on. Yeah. All yeah. right, Joel Rainey. Thank you so much uh, for this uh, winding conversation around masculinity and complementarianism and gender roles, not only in the church but in the home. I pray God's blessing on you. And uh, for those of you tuning in today, thank you so much for being a part of this conversation. I hope to see you soon. I'll talk to you later. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Ordinary Christian Podcast. I hope that you will use the information in this podcast to encourage you to love Jesus in the ordinary aspects of your daily life. Jesus surrounded himself with very ordinary people who made a difference in the world because of their Savior. You can make a difference too. If you would like to read more of my writings or find other podcasts, you can find information about me on my website at www.craigthompson.org. For information about Malvern Hill Baptist Church and sermons from our church, you can go to our website at www.malvernhill.org. Until next time, use the ordinary margins of your life to make an extraordinary difference in the world around you.